Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. Appreciate you listening to Bible Crossfire at this time every week. You can call in, ask a Bible question, or make a Bible comment. That's the design of this program, to let's hear from the listeners. If I'm just doing a lecture, a monologue, then I'm pretty sure I'm going to bore you to tears. It's the callers that make this program interesting. So you feel free to call in. Don't be embarrassed. If you have a Bible question or comment, the lines are wide open right now. Give us a call, 877-655-6755. While we're waiting on our first call, what I thought we'd talk about this evening is how people react to learning the truth. And I'm talking about learning truth that would demand a change in their belief and practice. There's, there's a number of ways that people react. We're going to talk about those ways. But let's look at a couple of passages to start with that will tell us that it matters how people react to learning the truth, a truth from God's word that demands a change in their belief or practice. Why does it even matter? Because a passage like John 8, 31 and 32, Jesus said this, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. We've got all these people out here claiming to be disciples of Christ. But they're all in different churches teaching different things. If they're teaching different things, they can't all be continuing in Jesus' word. And that's the only way you can be a true disciple is to continue in his word. And then it says, and you'll know the truth. The truth shall make you free. Only the truth will make us free from our sin, not false religious teaching. Adam from Oklahoma, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. All right, yeah, so I'm just curious, in John 14, verse 8 and 9, um, I'm just curious, why did Jesus, in verse 9, uh, why did Jesus use singular pronouns to describe himself to the Father as in a I and a me? Um, let's see here. I'm looking at that verse 9, Jesus said in him, talking to Philip, Have I been yes. so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father, and how sayest thou then show us the Father? Now, what's your question? I'm not clear yet, Adam. So, 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 like, so, like, all right, so I'm curious on, I don't know why exactly Jesus is using uh, a singular pronoun like um, I and me, right? He's using words that describe, uh, and they uh, describe himself in the singular form, describing himself to the Father. Well, he's describing himself to Philip, and to me, that would be the natural thing. Jesus is a person, one person, so he use, should use a singular pronoun to refer to himself. Like, if I'm talking about myself, I'll say I or me, singular pronouns. Why would so that be would confusing, that Jesus is, Well, well, like, so, so is that saying that Jesus is the Father? No, it's saying the exact opposite of that. He, if thou, when he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, that implies there's two different people. Like, for example, a lot of people said, I look a lot like my dad. So if, if somebody says, if you've seen Pat, you've seen his dad, that implies two different individuals. If you say, if you've seen so, so one person, you've seen another, that implies two. Right. So so let's say, brother, if someone were to tell me to show them, show them Daniel, and I were to go off and say, have I not yet been so long with you, you still don't I know me? Would that would that sound pretty clear? I don't know. Your name is Adam. If you said Daniel, why would you yeah, call yeah, yourself yeah, yeah, Daniel? Yeah, but, but no, no, I mean, 
I'm not calling myself Daniel. I'm just using Daniel as an example. But let's say Adam. Someone says, hey, brother, can you show me Adam? And I'm like, well, haven't I been right here with you the whole time? You know? Mm-hmm. So, like, I mean, so, I, I just think, you know, it's just like. Well, in this think, case, in this case, in verse 9, the it's very clear. It's a necessary implication. When you say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That proves conclusively that Jesus and the Father are two different people. Just like I said, if I say to somebody, if you've seen me, you've seen my Father, that's talking about two different people. So that's exactly what this verse proves, two different persons. Brian from Indianapolis, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Um, My question or comment uh, kind of pertains to the one saved, always saved statement. Uh, So. Salvation is uh, usually described as a free gift, a gift. Um, so, and also it says that uh, we're saved by faith, not by works. Right. So, right. If if we can lose our salvation, uh, how is it then? How is it still a gift? And also, if we can lose our salvation, how is that not, you know, kept by works? Okay, l- 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 those are good questions, Brian. I appreciate that. Suppose somebody gave me a gift of a watch. All right. Is it possible for Mm -hmm. me to lose that watch? I suppose you can on your own strings. So so just because something is a gift doesn't mean you can't lose it. So just because the Bible says salvation is a gift, that does not argue at all that you can't lose it. Now, I want you to consider this passage, Brian. Hebrews 3 in verse 1, he's addressing some people. He says, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. Does that sound like he's talking to Christians there, Brian? Yes. If he calls them holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, that means holy means sanctified, cleansed. They're brethren. Only a Christian is partaking of the heavenly calling. Now, he's still talking to these brethren in verse 12. Brian, he says, take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. You don't bother, Brian, I think you would agree, you don't bother to warn somebody about something if it's impossible to happen. So he's warning these believers against becoming unbelievers and departing from God. That shows that it's possible for a believer to become an unbeliever and depart from God. And so if he's an unbeliever, then John 3.36 is going to say that he's not saved. John 3.36 says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. So here's a person that's a believer. He's saved. Then it says, he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. So he's lost. So here's a believer who becomes an unbeliever. Hebrews 3.12 makes it clear he became an unbeliever. John 3.36 says unbelievers will be lost. So he's lost. You see my point, Brian? Yeah, so how do we? How does a believer go from a point of being a believer to an unbeliever? Well, it exactly. would be the same way. The same way an unbeliever comes to change to be a believer. We have free will choice. Uh We choose to believe what we want to believe based upon evidence in our heart. So here's an unbeliever. He doesn't believe in God, but he he comes in contact with a gospel preacher. And the gospel preacher convinces him that Christ is the son of God. He, He believes and he obeys the gospel. But later, five years later, he decides he wants to be a homosexual. So he becomes an unbeliever. Well, if he's an unbeliever now, just like he became a believer, he can become an unbeliever. He still he didn't lose his freedom of choice just because he became a believer. That's what Hebrews three twelve is warning against: a believer becoming an unbeliever. So we know it's possible. And John three thirty six says all unbelievers will be lost. Does all that make mm-hmm. sense, Brian? Yeah, 
I think so, but that kind of implies, I guess, um, like keeping the whole law. And if we have, to, we can't keep the whole law, you know? Am, am I wrong? Well, in this case, we weren't even talking about, we were just talking about being a believer or an unbeliever. Oh, right. So he's right. a believer. He changes to become an unbeliever. We could talk more about being obedient, but right now we're just talking about becoming an unbeliever. Right. So he's lost. Now, let me ask you, let me present another passage to you and see what you think, Brian. So okay. Revelation 3, 5, Jesus is speaking here. He says, he that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. Now, Brian, do you remember what the book of life refers to in the Bible? It's probably in there six or eight or ten times Old Testament and New. What's people. the book of life? Yeah, it's, a, it's God's list of the names of all the saved people. And Jesus yeah. is saying, if you if you overcome, I guess he's talking about overcoming temptation and or persecution, he will not blot your name out of the book of life, which implies, and you tell me if I'm wrong, Brian, that implies if we don't overcome temptation, he will blot our name out. Right? If he says, he that overcometh, I will not blot his name out of the book of life, that implies that if we don't overcome, he will blot our name out. And if we're, our name is blotted up, that means we were saved to start with because our name was in the book of life, but got blotted out. It got erased out. That means we're no longer saved. You see what I mean, Brian? Mm. Yeah. That's pretty clear. So far, That's yeah. pretty clear. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Now, we don't, so when I, when I teach once saved, always saved is false, I don't believe that means you're saved by works. Works is not the thing that earns your salvation. Belief and obedience are just conditions we have to meet in order to be saved okay. by the death of Christ. You don't earn anything. It's the death of Christ is what earns it. These are just conditions you have. Belief is just a condition you have to meet. And, and so okay. is obedience. I'm going to read Hebrews 5, 9 to you, Brian. It says, and being made perfect, he, talking about Christ, became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. If that doesn't mean you don't have to, if that doesn't mean you don't have to obey Christ, if that doesn't mean you don't, that you have to obey Christ, to receive eternal mm-hmm. salvation, I don't know what it would mean, Brian. Do okay, you? so I guess I guess I'm sorry. Uh, pretty yeah, much what you're trying to say is uh, regarding losing salvation. That only happens if you go from a state of believing, you know, Christ and you know the promise, and pretty much rejecting it. But well, is, let me read that? you another verse. Let me read you another verse, Brian, and see what you think about it. This is James five mm-hmm. nineteen through twenty. He says, brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth a sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. So this passage is talking about a brother in Christ, Brian, but he wanders from the truth, as the New King James says. He's in the Mm -hmm. truth. He leaves the truth. But the, the gist of the passage is it's primarily pointed to those left behind, the Christians who are still faithful. They're supposed to try to convert him back. And it says if they convert him back, they save his soul from death and they cover his sin and his sins are covered. That's basically Mm -hmm. what it says, which, Brian, I think that would imply what if he refuses to be converted back? That would imply his soul dies and his sins aren't covered. Am I right? Makes sense so far. Tell you what, what I want to do, Brian, I'm going to try to call you after the program and I want to send you get your email address and send you a list of verses about 15 or 20, that all of them conclusively prove the once saved, always saved position is false. Can I call you after the program and get your email address and do that?
Absolutely. Yeah, that's fine. And what I'm going to let you do is I don't twist anybody's arm. I'm going to show you the verses and you just make up your own mind. That's fair enough, isn't it? That's that's how I kind of did it with the salvation uh, point of view I've I've had up till now. Yeah, that's that's, that's really fair. great. You're doing you're you're doing it exactly right, Brian. You don't 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 just accept anybody's word for it. You don't accept anything until you see it in God's word because God's word, the Bible is from God. Pat, that's me. I can be wrong, can I? Yes, but God's word is right. So let me let me call you later. Get your email address and I'll send you those verses and then let, let you make up your own mind. Okay, Brian? Sounds good. Thanks for the great call, Brian. I appreciate your inquisitive questions, okay? I appreciate your answers. Thank you. All right. Talk to you soon. Lord willing. <laughs> May from New Mexico. Go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Thank you for taking my call. It's a kind of a two-parter. Um, I understand that there's an age of accountability for children. And there were times when God directed the Jews to go in and cleanse every man, woman, child, beast in certain instances, and there were times when he spared them. So at the time of the rapture, will the children of unbelievers also be raptured, or will they be left behind? And then, um, because we've unfortunately aborted so many babies and their children who have died um, by other means since the dawn of time, Will they have to be raised during the millennium so that they will be able to make the decision at the end when Satan is released for a short time um, so that they can make the choice to go either with Satan or to go with God because they still will have the sin nature in their blood? And I just assume that they would need to make that choice before they go choose to go into the kingdom or not to go into the kingdom. Okay. Mate. You lost me with part of the question there because in asking the question, you made some assumptions like sin nature, things like that. But let's go to your first question. This word, English word rapture, we get it actually, it's really a Latin word and it means caught up. So the English word rapture just comes from the Latin. It means caught up. When we find that phrase in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, it says, and this is referring to um, the day of the Lord, um, it says, uh, I'm, I'm look, uh, verse, I will start in verse, uh, 15. It says, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or precede them which are asleep. This is talking about the second coming of Christ then. It says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So notice, May, it's the dead in Christ that rise first. Then it says, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. In the, in the Latin version of the Bible, you would have the word rapture there for caught up. So it's what we're talking about, yes, the people who are caught up with Jesus and meet him in the air, first would be those in Christ that are dead. They're resurrected, according to John 5. Then those who are alive will be caught up. So only the faithful Christians will be caught up. The wicked will be left behind, but not for long. The, 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 the series, The Left Behind, is all about these people staying around on the earth with all the Christians gone and what a terrible earth it's going to be. But that's not really what's going to happen at all. Second Peter 3, 9 says when the day of the Lord comes, when Jesus comes, the earth's going to be burned up. So there's not going to be a time period after the rapture. That's going to, the rapture occurs at the end of the world, see? And it's the New Testament, faithful Christians, excuse me, I shouldn't have said New Testament. It's the faithful Christians 
that would be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. The wicked will be left behind and they'll be lost. They'll go to the bad place and spend eternity with the devil. Now, does that answer your first question? Okay, I guess I should have qualified it to say I'm a, pre-tribu- I'm a pre-tribulation rapture believer. So, so we're not even on the same page. But I will say, <laughs> when I hear people say it's going to be at the end, why did God say I go to my father's house for many mansions and so that I'm going to create mansions for you so where I am you may be also? Why would he go up to create mansions and we're going to go straight up and then come straight down? That doesn't give us any time in heaven with him. Because we're not going to come back down. He's creating. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. The mansions. He's going up to heaven to create the mansions, the dwelling places for us. John 14. That's up in heaven. So when the rapture occurs, which is at the end of the world, the earth's going to be burned up. And I'll show you a passage that proves that conclusively in a minute. The rapture occurs. We're going up to heaven and we're going to stay in heaven in those mansions that he's been preparing for us, according to John 14, 2 okay. and 3. Now, here's here's the verse I wanted to read to you, May. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but as long suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. So when Jesus comes back, the day of the Lord is going to be unexpected like a thief in the night. When he t- when then, he, then the faithful are raptured up, caught up to meet the Lord in the air, according to 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 17. And the earth's going to be burned up. That's what this verse says. The earth's going to be burned up. There's not going to be any more earth after the, the second coming of Christ, the rapture, the resurrection, the judgment day. They all occur at the same moment, really, May. All at the same time. So you don't so you don't believe in the millennium? We're in the millennium right now. We can I can prove oh, that okay. to you if you'd like me to. I'll be really honest with you. I would never have called this if I'd known that because to me, if we're the bride, who beats the heck out of their bride and then marries her? And that's why Paul told them, fear not and comfort each other with these words. If he's going to say, you know, if, if we're supposed to be beat up during the tribulation, you know, killed for our beliefs and all that, that's not very comforting. So for Paul yeah. to tell people, uh, comfort each other with these words, that I don't know any God that would let his bride be beat up before he comes and gets so, her. That's, I mean, that's as far very, as I know, yeah, May, sorry. May, as far as I know, you made all that up. You didn't give any scriptures. But let me read you Mark chapter 9, verse No, I, I didn't make it up. I've been studying I, Well, uh, hold on. Let me and, read you Mark 9, 1. We can prove for sure that no, we're in No, I'm sorry. I'm right. sorry. No, this was this was a wrong call. I, I'm sorry. Mark, I don't, I, you'll never convince well, me. You'll never convince yeah. me that we're going to go through the tribulation. It makes no sense, and God would not put us through that, the wrath. It says we are not subject to wrath. The tribulation in the Bible. We are not. We are not subject to wrath. We're not. We're not. Why would Why would God put us through that? Why would God put us through that? I didn't say He would. If we're devout Christians, here's the tribulation. Where the Let me mention to you where the tribulation is mentioned. Mark 24, verse 21. For then shall be great tribulation. That's the great tribulation. And then you move down to verse 34. It says, "Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass." So all these things shall be fulfilled. So the tribulation has already occurred almost 2,000 years ago. He said, here's no, the tribulation. Why? Uh, let me ask you this. I'm sorry to cut you up, but why in Revelation then is the church only mentioned in the first three chapters, and then the church is never mentioned again, and that's when the tribulation starts and the seals are yep. then opened by Christ one by one I'm sorry, by one. May, I'm sorry, but I just read to you. You you just said some things that had no basis in Scripture. Matthew twenty four twenty one. Revelation. No, why, wait, why does the third chapter in Revelation? May 
they, now, they, I'm so sorry. You, I'm going to hang up now because I just this is this is not biblical. You're fine. not teaching biblical Matt, stuff. Thessalonians, Matt, you need to go back and read read your Bible back because that's that's not God is not going to subject his. And so here's the passages we need to look at. Now, I just read to you about the tribulation. I'm talking to the audience now because May don't blame her necessarily, but she was constantly interrupting me and I couldn't get a word in edgewise. So she's dropped off the call. Matthew 24, 21, then shall be great tribulation. So there's the tribulation. And then in verse 34, 13 verses later, it says, Verily I say to you, this generation shall not pass to all these things be fulfilled. So if you believe the Bible, if you love God enough to believe the Bible, he doesn't say it ambiguously. He says clearly and conclusively that the tribulation occurred in the generation that Jesus lived in. In that generation. So within 40 years of when Jesus died, you had the tribulation. And of course, it's referring to the destruction of Jerusalem there. Now, we know we're in the millennium now, for sure. Mark 9, 1, Jesus says this. If you want to take Jesus' word for it, he says, Verily I say unto you that there be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. So Jesus is saying this millennial kingdom, the thousand-year reign, is going to begin in the lifetime of some of those he's speaking to. He says, some of you standing here will not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. And so that proves that the kingdom started within one generation of when Jesus lived. There would be some of them that were standing there hearing him preach physically that would not die before the kingdom started. That's Mark 9, 1 says that conclusively. Now let's turn to another verification of that. Acts 2 helps us to see when the kingdom started, this millennial kingdom. Acts 2, verse 30 says, Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he should raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He's seen this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ. Then it goes on in 33 to say, Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted. So Jesus began his reign over the kingdom, according to this, when he was resurrected from the dead and raised up, ascended up to the Father to sit at his right hand. I mean, that's what it says. He would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. So Christ sitting on his throne is not going to happen 2,000 or 5,000 years later. Christ began his reign in conjunction with his resurrection and ascension up to heaven. That's what this verse says. Now, we can either accept what Mark 9, 1 says and what Acts 2 says, or we can believe a bunch of mumbo-jumbo that people have made up, put in books to try to sell books, and there's no verses whatsoever that teach it. No verses. You notice that May didn't give us any verses. She said something about there were churches in the first three chapters and not in, in the rest of the book of Revelation. What does that have to do with the topic of when the millennium starts? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. What you, if you want to believe the millennium start, starts in the future, you need to find a verse that says that. And it doesn't say that. It all says all the verses say the millennium started in the first century time frame. All of the verses. I mean, you have a passage like, how about in Revelation, chapter 1, speaking of Revelation, he says, um, verse 9, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom. So John was obviously in the kingdom at that time because the people he's writing to, he says, you're my companion in the kingdom. So the kingdom's already in existence when John writes the book of Revelation. You can either choose to believe that or you can believe some, some malarkey that somebody made up to try to sell books 
And of course, they don't give any verses to prove what they say, but for some reason, people believe it. Appreciate you listening to this program. And I had some good calls. Listen every week at this same time. If you would like a free one-hour phone Bible study with me, I want you to give me a call or text at my cell phone number, which is 256-682-9753. Call or text me at 256-682-9753 if you would like to have a free one-hour phone Bible study with me at your convenience. Appreciate you listening tonight. Be sure and listen next week at every same time. And let me mention the website again. If you would like to have a Bible study or a Bible correspondence course or to ask me a question or listen to old programs, just go to the website that has the name of this program in it, BibleCrossFire.com. Go to www.BibleCrossFire.com and you can listen to old programs, ask me a Bible question, sign up for a Bible correspondence course, sign up for the, the phone Bible study one-on-one.